G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon is the first as part of an Advent series called Joy to the World. And it's entitled, How Then Can I Be Saved? And it focuses on Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 to 9. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Isaiah 64, verses 1 to 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble for you, as when the fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right. You remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever, but look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we uh, get into God's word. Loving Lord God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you for the promise that one day you will rend the heavens and you will come down and be among your people. And so, Lord, we pray that you would hasten the day when you return. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, today, as we said, is the first Sunday of Advent. uh, And this year, our Advent sermon series is called Joy to the World. In Dolby so far this year, we've had a prolonged drought bushfires, flash flooding, COVID-19, and now we seem to be in the middle of an apocalyptic heat wave. So I think it's fair to say that we could all do with a bit of joy. Speaking of joy, with all the setbacks of 2020, it seems to me like there's a little bit of a fog around Christmas this year. It's almost as if we're trying to fit everything that we couldn't or didn't do in 2020 into the last two months of the year. We're so desperate to see 2021 come in uh, the hope that things will go back to normal that there's this real intensity and real fog of tension around Christmas. And all the time our plans are always being made in the knowledge that one single outbreak could change everything in an instant. So for me it's a huge relief that we have Advent. Now, the word Advent means arrival. The advent of a new iPhone means that the new phone is being released. Or the advent of summer means that summer is finally here. 
In Advent, as we said in the kids' video, we prepare to remember and celebrate Jesus' first coming, but we also remember that Jesus has promised that he will return. And so as Christians, we live in the now and not yet. Jesus has come, he has died for us, he has risen again to set us free from sin and death. But one day he will return and he will set all wrongs right. We live in between the first advent and the second. So in this series, we're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say, particularly the book of Isaiah, about living in this in-between space. This Advent, I'm praying that we can leave the Christmas fog behind and dive into the wonder of living in anticipation of the return, the Advent of King Jesus. So let's jump into Isaiah 64 verse 1 where we read, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Here, Isaiah speaks with the voice of returned Jewish exiles. They didn't heed God's warnings earlier in Isaiah to repent and turn back to God. So the Assyrians came from the north and took away the people of Israel into exile. After a few generations, the people cry out to God and God raises up King Cyrus of Persia who lets the Hebrew exiles return to Jerusalem where they find God's city of peace, Jerusalem, in rubble. And so they cry out to God for an advent. They want God to arrive among them like he did before. They remind him of his works. They say, You have come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. And how then can we be saved? Ah, okay. Sorry, I'm totally lost here. Um, He says in verse 3, For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no eye has perceived, no, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any, bless, any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. The returned exiles, children of the people who had rejected the God of Israel, are beginning to wake up and remind themselves of the God they follow. He's the God who tore the heavens apart at Mount Sinai and spoke to the people. He's the God who shook the earth and brought down the walls of Jericho. He's the God who rained down fire on Elijah's altar at Mount Carmel. They're remembering who they worship. And so the returned exiles say, we've heard the stories and they want God to act in the same way. They wait for God to respond. They sit in the rubble of Jerusalem, begging God to come among them. They've heard the stories but they haven't yet experienced them. Friends, perhaps you've felt like this too. Perhaps you've heard about God splitting oceans, speaking from heaven, and coming down in fire. And perhaps you think, well, if God, God, if you used those things in the past, why not now? Can I suggest that this is actually a very good way to live? 
In our gospel reading, Jesus says, be watchful, continue to watch. Many of us have given up on God ever acting. We've become, even as Christians, functional atheists day to day. We pray on Sunday that God would intervene in our circumstances, but do we truly expect God to act? Advent is a time when we can recover the wonder of worshipping an interventionist God. Uh, Nick Cave famously sang, It's up there. I don't believe in an interventionist God, but darling, I know you do. And that's what we believe. We believe in an interventionist God. So friends, this Advent, let's pray big prayers. Lots of people tell me about the times when this church was packed every Sunday and we had a billion kids at kids' church. But why aren't we praying that God would do that again? It's a joy to welcome Bruce and Libby to church today and it's a reminder that God has raised up missionaries from this congregation, from Dolby, to go and preach the gospel overseas. But are we praying that God would raise up missionaries today from among us? Are we praying big prayers, remembering that we are praying to an interventionist God who acts on behalf of his people? As the people pray that God would intervene for them, they remember his works and his character. And as they remember those things, they are reminded of who they are. They remembered who God is, now they remember who they are. We read in verse 5, You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? Here's this moment of honesty amongst God's people. They realize that they don't deserve God's blessings. They remember that they and their ancestors have rejected God time and time again. They confess that they don't deserve God's love. Instead, they deserve his anger. I realize that this is not a popular way to think about God in the 21st century, but this is what the people are realizing, that they have not lived in a way that honors God, that they have not served him. And so they cry out with this deep existential question we all ask ourselves at one point in time. How then can we be saved? It's a moment of humility that floors the people as they hold up a mirror to their souls and they see themselves as a holy God sees them and they don't like what they see. Verse 6 is disgusting. It says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Now the word translated filthy rags here describes a menstrual rag. It's like saying... We're so lost that even our good deeds are like used tampons before God. Yeah. Now, why would anyone say such a thing? Well, it has to do with motive. 
Here the people are confessing that even when they do the right thing, they do it for the wrong reasons. Like a cheating husband who buys their wife presents to distract them from their infidelity. Or a colleague at work who holds the door for you then expects a big favor in return. Here we realize that God won't be manipulated. God won't be bribed. I often hear the line, well, so-and-so doesn't come along to church, but they're a good person. It's as if God only cares about us paying our taxes and minding our P's and Q's, but doesn't mind if we ignore him. Here the people of Israel are having a good look at themselves, and they realize that they're dirty before God. Their sins are sweeping them away like a leaf. Verse 7 finishes with this lament. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. You have given us over to our sins. The people feel a million miles away from God. And it feels like God has turned from them and left them to their own devices. Can you feel the heartache? Can you feel the hurt that these people are experiencing? Friends, this is another aspect of Advent, which is such a blessing for us. While many of us try to numb the pain of life coming up to Christmas, eating, drinking, and shopping our worries away, or at least trying to, Advent draws us into confession. A recognition that God is good, just, and holy, and we, if we're honest, are not. We need a Savior to help us. We need a God who saves. And this is the next stanza, as confession leads to praise. Verse 8 says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, and we are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Here is one of the few instances in the Old Testament where God is called Father. Now, considering how raw verse 6 is, it's incredible that the people use such an intimate word to describe God. Abba, Father, Daddy, they call him. The people are remembering that God is like a loving father, a father who cares enough to discipline their children, but also shield them from danger. It's a wretched cry for mercy. But you and I have the gift of hindsight, and so we know how God responded to this prayer. We know that God does rend the heavens, that God does come down. He comes down in a person. Jesus is God's answer to the cry, how then can we be saved? Jesus did the awesome things the people asked for in verse 3. He calms the storm. He feeds 5,000 people. He heals and raises the dead. He shows us how far God is willing to go to act on behalf of his people as per verse 4. Jesus is why Christians believe in an interventionist God. Jesus is the reason why we can pray big prayers. On the day Jesus died, the skies turned black. 
The curtain in the temple that protected God's people from his anger was torn in two. And God revealed to the nations his forgiveness plan. On the morning Jesus rose, God shook the earth and the mountains trembled as Jesus rose from the tomb. The people crying out to God in Isaiah would have to wait many, many years, almost 530 years for their Savior to come. But when he did come, when that advent arrived, it was well worth the wait. Friends, we worship a God who not only cares about good and evil, but we worship a God who saves. And so how are we meant to live in the presence of this God who loves us to death? Well, we are to remember the hope. Here Isaiah gives us a beautiful and vivid picture of how we are to live. Again, verse 8, You, Lord, are our Father, we are the clay. You are the potter, we are the work of your hand. It's this beautiful image of God shaping and molding his people, recreating us the way that he would. Friends, Advent is a time to remind ourselves that we need to be malleable and open to God. God is an artist, and like a potter who has plans for his clay, God wants to fashion and shape us into the people he created us to be. In the rush and fog leading up to Christmas, we have the opportunity to slow down and say, God, how would you like to shape me today? How are you going to smooth my rough edges and shape me so that I can live for you? Are you calling me to serve you overseas like Bruce and Libby? Or are you calling me to share the gospel with my neighbors next door? Friends, this Advent, don't pass on the opportunity to let God shape you, to mold you, and to help you grow. While there is breath in your lungs, God isn't finished with you. Spend time praying big prayers this Advent. Ask God to forgive you and repent of the things that have kept you from God and distanced you from Him. And remember that God is a loving Father, ready to shape you and mold you and make you to thrive. We can do all these things because of the gift of Jesus who shows us that there is always hope of God's promise for us. So let's pray to him now. Loving Lord God, we thank you that your word causes us to remember who you are.